And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. have you guys with us on, on Mother's Day, and uh, I have a mom, she's not here today, and someone said, hey, is your mom going to be here? And I said, I hope not, and they looked at me, mom, I know you're watching, there's a story behind this. I, of course, I'd want my mom here, but I got, got the two things. One, we cooked enough lunch for 10 people, so mom and dad showed up. Um, we'd have to do the Jesus thing and bless the food and break it and hope that it would multiply, but also, it would be tougher to tell this story if my mom was, was here looking at me. So 11 years ago this morning, at 5.30 in the morning, my mom called me. And you're like, wow, that's really early to have your mom call you. Well, I'm a morning person, and um, on Sunday mornings, I, I'm up at that time, so it's not a big deal. But here's the reason why she called me, to tell me that her dad, my grandpa, had passed away. And it was also Mother's Day. And I remember I was talking to her on the phone. Because my grandma had passed away seven years earlier, she said, you know, Mother's Day has never been the same. And she goes, now it's going to be even worse. And I, I'm with you guys for, for moms that Mother's Day is tough because it's not the same without a mom. It's not the same without a loved one. It's not the same because things are different. Life is different. I, I don't know what that's like. And, and I, I praise God that I, I don't, but I do hurt with you and understand, man, that's, that's rough. I, my mom, I'm gonna, just a couple of personal stories. I'm going to tell another personal story, and then I'll be done with the personal stories until, you know, I'm done. <laughs> my mom and I did not have a very good relationship growing up. I was having coffee this week with Chris Campbell, and, and I told him some stories. And his eyes got huge. He's like, wow, you're a jerk. I go, yes, I was. But, I, I mean, junior high was a rough period. Anybody else have a rough time in junior high? Yeah, yeah. There, there's still sections of junior high that I just block out. Loved high school. High school was great. When I got into high school, my voice changed. I, I, I grew six inches. Life was great. Junior high, not so much. But I, I, life was bad. And later on, my parents came back to me. And, 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 uh, and just going to be really shocked. That you guys know that, that I have a high self-confidence, right? Everyone's shocked, like, really, you? You just seem so humble. That's what Terry says to me all the time. But in junior high, I, I struggled with, with who I was. I got picked on. I got thrown into a dumpster. I had kids spit on me. I, I just really struggled with who I was, and so I had a low self-esteem and wondering if I was ever going to climb out of this. And my parents noticed that, and my mom noticed that, and she started pouring that into me. 
And they, they started encouraging me and telling me I could do things and, and, and believing in me and trusting in me and telling me, hey, God has a plan for your life and God's going to work in your life and God's going to do great things in your life. See, growing up, um, my parents would go to parent-teacher conference. I have a brother who's three years older than me. My brother, three years older than me, has never sinned, ever. He's perfect. I, on the other hand, well, you know that. They'd go to these parent-teacher conferences, and the teacher, because my brother, he wouldn't talk in class, and teachers would say, are you sure Ken Bush is in this class? And they'd flip through, and like, I don't remember being in my class, and my mom's like, how can you misplace a kid? And like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's in my class. Good kid. Usually when my parents went to my parent-teacher conference, the teacher would look at him and say, your child is the devil. <laughs> Do you know what he's like? Do you know how bad he is? And my parents would come home, I would get grounded, I hated parent-teacher conference. All that changed when I had a teacher as a seventh grader, seventh grade world history teacher, my parents again going to parent-teacher conference, and I'm just starting to think of the ways, the things I'm going to be punished from, things are going to take away from me, it's, life is going to be bad. They walked in there, and they said, yeah, we're, we're Mark Bush's parents, and he looked at him and goes, you're Mark Bush's parents? I love him, he is such a great kid, I enjoy having him in my class. My mom looked at him and said, we said we're Mark Bush's parents. He goes, I know. My mom came home, had tears in her eyes, and she goes, I never thought I would have a teacher tell me that they loved you. <laughs> so if you guys have those parent-teacher conferences where kid, the, your, your kids come home and, and, and teachers tell you how bad your kids are, there's hope. I mean, I'm not sure if this is where you want them to be, but there's hope for them. But I want to, in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand, ground, stand around with sinners, or join with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Here's, here's what the psalmist is saying, is bad company corrupts good character. But blessed are those who say, you know what, my inner circle, the people that I'm going to gather with, the people who are going to pour into me, they're going to be good people. And guess what's going to happen when I am surrounded by good people? I'm going to bear good fruit. And he's pouring this out. Did, did you catch the truth of this? If we don't follow the wicked, if we don't do what everybody else in the world does, but if we are our own trailblazers, we will bear fruit. I've got a prayer, and I'm going to open the service. I'm going to close this, the service in this prayer, but I want to pray this over moms. I pray that you would be women of prayer, so that you would be a rebel for God in this godless world that you would live for Christ in a world that lives for self, that you would cause trouble for Satan against the kingdom of God at home in the church and wherever God places you on the map. I pray that you would be women of prayer so that God's word would continually awaken you in true wisdom. If you are single, that God would be your first love, that you leverage your single life for God's word, living pure and on purpose. And if and when you marry, that it would be for a man that would be a man after God's own heart. That if you're married, that Christ would be the source of loving your husband, and that you would carry a spirit of peace over a spirit of contention in your home. 
And if you have children, that you would pour into them as your first career, whatever else you do in the marketplace, that your cash would be poured into the bringing of your, uh, that your life would be poured into bringing it over your, like Mary poured into and prayed over Jesus. I pray that you would be women of prayer, that all worry and fear would find rest in God, and that any bitterness or wounds would be healed through God, that your sense of womanhood would be formed and fueled by God, and that your life would be blessed under God. I pray that you would get life right, not almost right. So many times, we, what's good enough? How can I just get by? And that's, that's our life story. But here we have Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus. And I just want you to know, there's some pressure being the mother of God, right? I mean, what if she messed up? She would, she would screw up all of humanity. She's sitting there going, I'm pregnant with the mother. I'm pregnant with, with God. What's going to happen? I'm going to mess up all eternity. What if he, he comes to earth? What if I do something wrong in parenting? He decides not to die on the cross. He decides not to save the world. All of this pressure on a 14-year-old girl. But there were certain things that Mary got right from the very beginning. What God asked of Mary, he asked of all of us, that we carry Jesus into the world around us. This calling to be on map and to be on mission for God is simply to live sent. We live in the world, but we're sent out. God has called us. We are our residency truly is in heaven. Our home is in heaven, but we're living here as foreigners in a strange world. And because we are foreigners, because it's not our home, we are to live as ambassadors of Christ. But there are certain things that Mary got right. She got purity right at a young age. God spoke to her and God called her because she was pure. We, we live in a world that, that scoffs purity and, and says, oh, do whatever you want to do, whatever feels good, whatever you want to do. It's your body, it's your choice, but that's not what God says. Here's what I want you to know. I heard somebody say this, it's her body, it's her choice. I said, no, 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 it's God's body, it's his choice. Boys, it's your body, it's not your body, it's God's body, it's his choice. So the advice that I give Jack as he's entering into the dating season of life as a teenager, I give him this advice. Remember, Jack, that's not your wife. That's somebody else's wife. But more importantly, remember, that's not her body. That's God's body. Don't be messing around with God's body. He's like, okay, Dad, I got it. Do you really? Do you understand that? I want, you to, I want you to get this at a bone level. Young ladies, I want you to understand this, that you are living with God's body. Young men, I want you to understand this, that it is God's body. It's not your body. When you look at these young teenage guys, and they've got muscles everywhere, trust me, it's great to be young and have muscles everywhere because sometimes you'll get, someday you'll get old and you'll look like this. <laughs> the muscles will be gone. You'll take off your shirt and your wife will scream in horror. Actually, those are the boys. They're like, dad, dad, dad. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. It's still God's body. It is God's holy temple. And here's Mary at 14 years old, called by God to be the mother of Jesus Christ. How 
completely intimidating would that be? But she got things right. She got purity right at an early age. But you know what? She got obedience right at an early age. One of the things that my parents instructed me growing up is always obey God. Put him first. So let's jump into Mary's story. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 48. We're just going to read the, the first part of a song that she sings. And Mary sang, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will be blessed. Hey, the angel comes and speaks to her, and she goes, I've got this. Why did she have this? Because of God. May, may the world be blessed by what I'm about to do. Let's fast forward to Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You see, Mary at 14 years old did not understand everything she was going to get into. She gives birth to Jesus, her firstborn son. We, we know through Christian history that he had four brothers and at least two sisters. And I, sometimes I can relate with James. James wrote a book in the New Testament, but I, I can relate with James. When you have a brother who doesn't do anything wrong, everything you do is magnified. Everything you do. And, and so they're looking at Jesus, and, and I'm, I'm sure Mary is probably getting ready to write book deals about how to be the perfect parent. Because we, we, the Bible tells us Jesus never sinned. She's probably like, hey, Jesus, can you sit here while I go out and do this? She'd come back. He'd be sitting there. You're like, wow, this is so amazing. I'm such a great parent. <laughs> Trust me, I mean, my parents, when they, when they had my brother, they're like, wow, this is really easy. Let's, let's have another one of these. After they had me, they're like, this isn't so easy. Let's stop. But all of this, my, my mom's going to be listening. You weren't that bad. It's, it's okay. I was, I, was, I was not as fun to raise as my brother. Here you have Jesus. Everything he did was perfect. The other children, they're, they're, they're struggling right along. So Mary at ages 48 to at 50 at the time when Jesus was crucified, and now she's up here in the upper room praying, and now she has gray hair. A little girl was talking to her mom and said, Mommy, why do you have gray in your hair? And the uh, little girl, the mom looked at the little girl and she goes, you gave me every single gray hair I have. Girl's eyes got big and she says, wow, why is grandma's hair white? <laughs> I just want you to know, my mom just recently started getting gray hair. Like two years ago. Because I was such a great son. <laughs> Terry's mom is sitting here on the second row. I'll let you guys judge how, how rough Terry was on her mom. <laughs> Going to throw that out for you. I was great. Terry, not so much. <laughs> but what, what is she doing there? I mean, she saw all of these things. She went to the tomb, and now uh, Jesus Christ has been risen from the grave, and she is gathering, and they are praying, constantly praying. She was praying over Jesus' life. 
Here's what I want you to know. It matters who prays. Moms, it matters that you pray over your kids, that you pour into, your, into their lives and you pray over them and say, you know what, I'm going to pray over my kids. I'm going to pray blessings over them. I'm going to pray truth over them. I'm going to pray God's blessing over them. At, at some point, your kids leave your house. Not, not necessarily growing up and, and leaving, but at some point they're going to go out with their friends. And you pray, God, protect my babies while they go out with their friends. I'm north of 40. My mom still calls me her baby boy. You see, it matters who prays. Mary was called to pray over Jesus. I just want to read a part of that prayer that I read earlier. And if you have children that you would pour into them as your first career, Whatever else you do in the marketplace, that your cash would be poured into bringing it over like Mary poured in and prayed over Jesus. Whatever you do, your first job is to pray over your kids. Here's what I want you to know. You can see it on the screen behind me. Where God gives you responsibility, he gives you authority. Where God has given you first responsibility, he hears you first. Where God entrusts you, he hears you the most. Your prayers matter. Like Mary, don't underestimate your prayer. No, don't say, it doesn't really matter, I want to cut it off. No. Realize that God is in the prayer answering business. You are the prayer warrior over your children's lives. I've got a few heroes of the faith, and one of my heroes of the faith has a daughter, and she pastors a church in Wisconsin. And the church is doing some great things, and they're growing, and they're expanding, so they had to expand. They had a prayer room for people who would pray over the church service, and they had to knock that room out and use it for children's ministry. So somebody brought in an RV, and every week, they have prayer people who gather in the RV and pray for people. And she stepped out in, in, in faith one Sunday and said, hey, if you got prayer requests, write them down, pass them in, and we'll pray, and God's going to answer those prayers. And after she said that, she's like, ah, oh, should I have really done that? I want you to jump in as she tells about the story of what God was doing. And I'm standing on the stage, and one of our pastors hands me this list, and I look at it, and there were at least 20 statements, uh, you know, God said declarations. And I start scanning them and looking at them. And I'm thinking to myself, this is insane. Like, there are um, physical issues. There's, there's marital things. There are parenting and kids things. And I mean, so specific. And some of them are really big. And I'm thinking, uh, this is not good. Uh, because if I say these things and, God, you don't show up, I don't even know what's going to happen in this room right now. I don't know what's coming to the faith of people. I don't know, I don't know what this is. It felt like the biggest uh, obedient risk of my life, of my work, of my leadership. I'm looking down the list and I get to the bottom of the list and 
there's my daughter's name. And she has an unusual name. So I knew, I knew who it was talking about. Eileen, my daughter, was in middle school at the time. And she had been experiencing some pretty intense bullying. A lot of things, most of them having to do with her appearance or um, that she was ugly. Some of it was, you know, she wasn't smart or she was stupid. And, you know, she was coming home every day. And I felt like every day at four o'clock, I was trying to put the pieces of my daughter back together. I was watching people's words become more powerful to her than even mine or her dad's or God's. Like they were becoming so powerful for her. And so I started praying really specifically that God would speak to Eileen uniquely, like in a way that she would really believe. She's a thinker. She's uh, very logical, very rational. And I just desperately was crying out to God and writing and journaling and all of that, that he would, that he would talk to her. So when I'm standing there on stage in front of all these people and I'm the pastor, right? So I'm leading this room and I get to the bottom and there's my daughter's name. And it says, uh, Eileen, God wants you to know that you are beautiful. What I knew in a single moment is that God was saying, Heather, I see you. I hear you. I see your daughter. You're both my daughters. And I love you both more than you could ever imagine. So my husband was leading worship. Um, he was kind of back to my right. And I stopped everything and I walked back to him on stage and I showed him what was there. And he was just taken over. And I knew that I could then step forward and deliver the words that God had given for the people in the church that day and that God was going to move. I felt it was an odd thing. I felt very much like a little girl, um, you know, being led by her dad. But I certainly felt like a very strong woman that had been called to a task. It's like simultaneously. And I... It was a moment that forever changed me. I got to sit with my daughter and show her words that I did right, that God delivered to these people out in the RV who I never told, never said anything to about Eileen's struggle or this story or like I never, I didn't preemptively set that up. No one had any idea but our family. I pray differently now. Um, you know, it's so funny because you think you believe something. You think you believe something. I believe in God. I mean, I believe that God does miraculous things. I believe that God moves. I believe that um, 
God wants to draw people to himself. I believe all of these things. But when, but when God so uniquely speaks to you in a way that you've actually asked for, first you realize how much you doubted and you didn't believe, and then you realize how much you, need, how much you do and your faith is forever changed. So now, Eileen's, you know, it's been, you know, over a year since that happened. And she is, um, she's extraordinary. And is everything perfect? No. Is her, you know, 15-year-old self-confidence, um, does it never waver? Well, no. Uh, but she's not who she was then. And she knows that God talked to her. More than being a pastor and more than being a parent, um, I will always and forever be his daughter. That he will always want and chase after intimacy with me. And the more I live and lean into that, of just living like his daughter, the more I experience his power in my parenting and in my pastoring. And that's, that's just the truth of it. When you realize that you're God's daughter, and as you pray that, that God's taking you by the hand, and God's going to move. Moms, dads too, you are the prophet for your children. There's a couple things about being a prophet. One, you speak future things into existence. I pray God that my boys would follow him. I pray that they would know God, that they would desire to be like God. I pray that they would be godly men. Sometimes the prophet has to tell your children, they're not living up to their calling. When you pray and you see God start to move, then your prayer life really becomes like you've poured gasoline on it. And you realize that God is doing great things. It's going to change everything about you. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Sometimes we need to take that advice. We need to be slow to speak, slow to be angry, and quick to pray. God grants us trampled ground. April talked about January. There... Honestly, and not, not, to, not for you guys to feel sorry for me, there is a two-week period in January I have no clue what happened. I really don't. I, I was, to say I was surviving isn't even close to the answer. I had people who were making sure that I was still alive, um, and here's why. And it wasn't about me. It was about what, it, what people were going through. My wife had COVID. We didn't make it public knowledge. So we didn't want people to say, oh, no, what's going on at the Bush household that she has COVID? And so she gets covid we had people in the hospital who were dying with COVID. 
And Terry couldn't help me out at all except pray for me. And I remember, Krista, when your sister passed away, how rough that was. When Allie Jones passed away, and when Mike passed away. And I remember one Thursday afternoon, I came home from Allie's funeral, which was the first of three funerals in four days. And I laid on the floor in our bedroom. And Terry was in there. I had antibodies, so it wasn't like I was endangering myself or anybody else. But we, we weren't touching or kissing or anything like that. We weren't, you know, going to Vegas and, and, and risking life. And I said, Terry, I just can't do it anymore. We live with trampled ground, and trampled ground means that sometimes we have to go through the hard stuff, the rough stuff, the stuff that you're like, how can I do this? The, the first Sunday that Mike was down at OU Medical Center and, and uh, Terry was gone, she couldn't be here that Sunday because she had COVID, and Ashley and April are, are leading worship, and, and I shared it with other pastor friends on my, of, of mine, and everybody responded back. They said, man, that worship service was anointed by God. As I'm watching it, I'm like, I've got to be the worst person in the universe because I said, Ashley, I said, hey, if you want to go up and lead worship, go up and lead worship. And I'm watching the replay, and she's crying, and April's crying, and I'm like, I'm like the worst human being possible. And Terry would admit, she goes, yeah, Mark doesn't have a sensitive bone in his body. But God, now get this, guys. God showed up in the trampled ground. God showed up in the brokenness. God showed up in all of that. You see, perseverance is in the economy of God. God isn't trying to frustrate us. He's trying to teach us perseverance. So when we pray, and we're like, God, where are you, why are you not showing up right now? God is trying to teach us to persevere. Part of God's design for how we pray centers around our ability to persevere. God tells us throughout Scripture that we are to seek, knock, ask, and to keep at it. This is how we know the kingdom of God is at work. The second thing about trampled ground is who am I as a praying person? How we see ourselves in prayer is as powerful as prayer is itself. Mark Batterson says this, bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, salting to God. Moms, when you're praying over your kids, you're praying for the impossible. You're praying for the miraculous. You're praying for God to move. And if you're not praying for God to have complete ownership over their lives, then you're not praying big enough. Fathers, if you're not praying for God to have complete ownership over your children's lives, you're not praying big enough or bold enough. Sometimes we just pray, oh God, please guide and direct. Have a little bit of them. And here's where it comes into the context. Uh, our, our oldest son, Jack, feels a call in the ministry. He's also smart. Most pastors are not that smart. And, and so when he first told me, he said, hey, you know, God's calling me to go in the ministry. I feel a call to be a youth pastor. I sat down with him, serious as a heart attack, and I said, you know what? I think God wants you to be an engineer. I said, I know engineers. Engineers are great people, Jack. God wants you to be an engineer. 
And he goes, no, God, God really wants me to be a pastor. And I said, well, why don't we pray on this? We'll talk about this. And so I went and prayed for it. I said, God, Jack's misunderstanding the call. You want him to be an engineer. God came, Jack came back to me. God didn't talk to me for a while. Jack came back to me and said, God, he said, I've been praying. God wants me to be a pastor. You see, when you ask God to take ownership of your kids, when you put your children on the altar and say, we dedicate them to you, that's a scary place to be. Because anything can happen on that altar. You see, we need to ask this question, who am I that God is mindful of me? Who am I that God would answer my prayers? We often pray small and weak prayers because we don't think God can answer those prayers. We get cautious in prayer. We have a small view of ourselves, and consequently, we pray very small. But we must see God's invitation to praying bolder prayers. How's your prayer life today? I mean, as, as moms, how are you praying? Are you being the prophetic voice of God saying, God, here are my kids. Take them. Use them. Are you praying these bold, magnificent prayers? Or are you praying small? I want to go back to that prayer, Mom. I pray that you would be women of prayer so that you would be a rebel for God in this godless world, that you would live for Christ in a world that lives for self, that you would cause trouble for Satan and against the kingdom of God at home, in the church, and wherever God places you on the map. I pray that you would be women of prayer so that God's word would continually awaken you to true wisdom. If you're single, that Christ would be your first love. That you leverage your single life for God's word, living pure and on purpose. And if and when you marry, that would be a man after God's own heart. That if you're married, that Christ would be the source of loving your husband and that you would carry a spirit of peace over a spirit of contention in your home. And if you have children, that you would pour into them as your first career. Whatever else you do in the marketplace, that you would be poured, that you would pour yourself into bringing over like Mary poured herself into praying over Jesus. I pray that you would be women of prayer, that all worry and fear would find rest in God, that any bitterness or wounds would be healed through God, that your sense of womanhood would be formed and fueled by God, and that your life would be blessed under God. During COVID, there was a song that swept the world, written by Carrie Job and others, but actually it was written first by God. It's called The Blessing. <clears throat> At Mike's funeral, Ashley and Michaela and April sang this song, and the Spirit of God fell. Because when we speak God, his spirit falls. Here's where that song comes from. The Lord said to Moses, 
tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Moms, you're the high priest in your home. You pray the, pray the blessings of God over them. And when you pray, pray the blessings of God over your children, you pray, God, take them. Guide them, direct them. But more importantly, you say, God, may your word be made alive in their lives. God, may you take them. Lord, bless us and keep us. Our Heavenly Father, I just thank you today for moms, for the blessings that they have. And I pray, God, that you would bless not just one generation, not just two generations, God, but a thousand generations would feel the blessing of a fervent, praying mom. Church, would you rise with us? Ashley's going to sing the blessing. And I, I just want this to be a prayer over you.
Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for creating moms. Thank you so much for loving us, even when we were unlovable and pouring out your grace and your mercy. I pray, God, that we would live inside of your blessing. I pray, God, that we would walk step in step with you. I pray that you would bless moms today as they are the prophets and the high priests of their home. I pray, God, that you would enrich their words. I pray, God, that you would bless every word that comes out of their mouth. And I pray for their kids, God, to be used by you, to lay on the altar of grace and understand your holiness, God, and what that means. I just pray this in your holy name.